You know, it's one of those things, and I'm sure all coaches go through this. You look back to your first few years, and it's like cringeworthy, right? I mean, you just, God, I wish I handled this situation that such. I just, I wish my overall makeup was different than what it was. But, I mean, it's, you only know that by going through it, by learning about it. Through Twitter, through all this sort of stuff where coaches have a better chance to connect, maybe that wall comes down a little bit. Hey everybody, welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Before we're joined by James Cordes, I have two favors to ask of you. First, wherever you're listening to the show, please leave a rating, maybe even a review. Second, do a favor for both you and me by heading down into the show notes and clicking that link to join the High School Coaches Club. As a bonus, you'll get the newsletter to your inbox each and every Wednesday. It is 100% free. And third, share this on social media. That's how we grow. That's how we get more high school coaches spreading this wisdom. Thank you so much for listening and for helping grow the club. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring yet another edition of the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf, and just about any other sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout this country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking Netting Pros out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. And if you're listening to this in the same month in which it went live, it's May, which means it's Mental Health Awareness Month. So a huge thanks to my guy, China McCarney, and the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation for sponsoring all of our episodes in May. AAAD is dedicated to providing resources to anyone dealing with a mental health issue by taking a modern approach to mental health. Through raising awareness and funds, AAAD is able to provide resources like free therapy to those that are suffering. AAAD is also proud to now offer the Mental Health Manual and Companion Journal, where you can get to work on your own mental health. Visit aaadf.org and mentalhealthmanual.org for more information, and let's all be the change for mental health. China sent me a copy of both the manual and journal, and let me tell you, both of them can absolutely help you. And our guest today, James Cordes, can absolutely help you be a better coach about an hour from right now. Coach Cordes was the head coach at Redlands East Valley High School in California, and he was so successful that when he stepped down and retired a few years ago, they retired his number. That doesn't happen very often for coaches, especially in high school, right? Uh, He has a ton to offer, and he brings a really unique perspective because he no longer coaches in the high school ranks, and now he coaches on the private side up here in Oregon. He's going to dive into the differences between coaching at a high school and coaching on the private side, how those two relationships should be built and fostered to help student-athletes, and why he's never coming back to coaching high school sports. So let's dive in. It's episode 31 with Coach Cordes. All right, I'm joined here by James. James, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Coach. 
I appreciate it uh, so much for you jumping in. I had I had a, an opening this weekend and put it out on Twitter, and sure enough, you jumped in. And I, I don't know that there's a better person who could have jumped in the last second than you. Oh uh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, and on top of that, you just welcomed your second kiddo into the world in the last week or so. So congratulations. Man, we did. Yeah, about a week ago, we had our little daughter. So we got a, a boy and a girl and we're all set now. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. How's, uh, how's that been going? How's the transition from one child to two? You know, so far, so good. She's been a pretty easy baby, but... I mean, we're we're ready for it to get tough. We uh, I, we have our summer season approaching, obviously. So my wife is is staring down a couple months of two kiddos, and you know, one of them being a newborn, and daddy being gone a decent amount for baseball. So the tough times are are coming, but we'll get through. We'll grind through it. Yeah, I was uh, talking with my wife the other day about how kind of lucky we were with, with the way the pandemic hit and everything just as parents because uh, our kiddo was born in, in the summer of 2019 after summer baseball ended. And then, you know, obviously baseball season started, but then it ended before it even really got going. And so then there wasn't really any summer ball either. And so for the first almost two years of his life, baseball has been about as non-impactful as I could imagine it being as a as a coach. Totally. And, and how cool for you to be able to be at home and really be around as he's going through those those young years and whatnot. That's that's a blessing, man. Yeah, it changes a lot every single day. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's parenting's, <laughs> old, parenting's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. I, you know, sometimes I, I miss the the first couple of months. We were talking about that the other day, too. The first couple of months uh, when we had him, it was like, man, we, we didn't really get – we didn't have to do anything because he just slept all day long, basically. And man, you're just like, isn't man, it amazing? <laughs> and then they it's learn how to crawl how and then walk. And, they are. Oh my gosh, I know. That's what like, I was all nervous about the first year. And it's like, no, no, it's the first year is actually for the most part. I mean, there's tough nights and everything, but uh, it, once they learn to walk, it's a whole different, it's a whole different animal. You know, it's funny you say that about two years ago, we we're in the airport and we saw one of my college uh, teammates, this guy named Brian Schumacher down in San Diego. And he told us, I think we were pregnant at the time. And he told us that same thing. He said, you know, people always say that first year, He's like, but at, when they hit one, that's when it changes. That's when it gets hard. And that always stuck with me. And, man, he was spot on, especially with the little boy, man. They're on the move, and and uh, it gets wild, to be sure. How old, how old is your son? He's two and a half, almost three. Gotcha. So does he come to – is he coming to any baseball stuff with you every once in a while yet? He he totally does. He I mean, we've been scouting high school games this spring, so he loves that. and. He comes to Vince Genna um, over the summertime and sits in the stands and watches and whatnot with Mama. So, yeah, he's pretty dialed in. He loves the ballpark. And, uh, yeah, we were just out back hitting with the little wiffle ball yesterday. He seemed to like it. So <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again for coming on. I know having a kiddo <laughs> changes things. And then I, I obviously don't know that having two, what, what that means. But uh, whatever it means, thanks for joining the show. Um, so let's totally. just kind of dive in. Uh, can you kind of take me back before we get into where you are now and everything? Can you take me back to your own uh, playing days? Yeah, totally. Um, so I grew up in, in Haley, Idaho, uh, Sun Valley, Idaho, big ski resort town. And I went to Wood River High School just you know, not too big of a high school there in central Idaho and, and played three sports there. And then I eventually went down to University of Redlands in Southern California, D3 school down there. And um, I was actually the first recruit for Scott Laverty. And, and Scott Laverty's known because he's with Chapman now. And they just won the NCAA championship last year. 
uh, two years ago, actually. Um, so I was at University of Redlands, played shortstop there for for three years, and uh, yeah, that that was my playing career. That says uh, it went that quickly, really. I tell our our seniors quite a bit, and they've started kind of repeating this to the younger kids that your your playing days go by very quickly, and the next thing you know, you kind of look up and it's over, and you're wondering what the heck happened. Oh man, isn't that the truth? I mean, you're just so engrossed in it. It's kind of like it's kind of like raising kids. You know, the days go slow sometimes, but the years go fast. And then uh, and then all of a sudden it's senior day, and you're all done. Yeah, and you're like, what in the world just happened? Uh, <laughs> so you you finished up at University of Redlands, and then you transitioned uh, into coaching. It didn't take too long. Can you kind of explain how you? You know, I mean, I guess is is coaching something you had always planned to do, or is it something you kind of fell into? Yeah, it was, you, you know, something I always wanted to do. I wasn't a great player. You know, I was a, a manageable shortstop, but I love, I love kind of the inner workings of the game. And I remember when I grad or when I, yeah, when I was done, when I graduated, I walked up to the local high school, Redlands East Valley, where I eventually ended up coaching at. And I just told the head coach I wanted to volunteer. And I remember, and <laughs> this guy ended up being my longtime mentor, but he just turned and looked at me. And he's like, yeah, show up every day and you can coach. And he just walked away. And that was it. And so he basically put the onus on me to be like, hey, if you want to do this, show up. And that's what I did. I just I showed up every day and I just loved it more and more. So it kind of happened organically. You know, there wasn't a huge plan in place. And, and all of a sudden I was an assistant coach at a high school. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, as a high school coach, that <laughs> that would probably be one of the better job interviews to do is just, are you going to show up and be here consistently? Because that's about half totally. the battle is with assistant coaches. Yeah, I mean, us as high school coaches, you know, we always get hit up with people who want to help, right? And like the, the idea, they love the idea of it, but, you know, the actual practice of it, where showing up every day and, and the time that it takes, that's a lot harder. And I think a lot of people don't really realize that. So I'm sure he was probably just bothered by people all the time. And he got to the point where he's like, you know, if you're going to show up, then great. If not, don't waste my time. And I can appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, I could definitely appreciate that too. Uh, and so eventually, uh, you obviously become the head baseball coach at Redlands East Valley. Can you kind of explain how you became the head coach and then what your your time there was like? Yeah, so so I left for Boston. I wanted to live in Boston for a while. My parents uh, were there for a while when they were younger. And so I got my master's at Boston College. And, and I coached at the UMass Boston uh, for a couple of years um, under coach Brendan Egerbrout who's taken them to the World Series and done just an incredible job. UMass Boston is a cool place because they have like a mini Fenway Park for their stadium there in Boston. Um, but yeah, my mentor, Steve Hernandez, was nearing the end of his career, and he always said he wanted to hand it over to me when he retired. And so 2007, he got to that point. He finished his best season ever. He was led that year, his last year, Tyler Chatwood, who's – current pitcher for the Cubs and Matty Andres, current pitcher for the Red Sox were his one, two punch. And they lost the state championship at Dodger stadium to El Toro led by Arenado. Oh my gosh. But they, but they were incredible. Rev, I think they were ranked 12 in the nation that year. And so they went 26 and four and it was his kind of his, his swan song. So called me up he kind of worked through the system and said it's yours if you want it so i had to make a call and it was hard because i had a network at a pretty cool community in boston and loved it but i mean you know you you can imagine what it's like you have this offer you can't say no regardless of where it is so i packed my jeep back up and drove back cross country and was this 
you know, green eyed 26 year old trying to figure out how to be a head coach with a program like this. And so at 26, kind of looking back now, is there anything, if you could go back and tell that 26 year old version of yourself as you're driving across the country, Hey man, you should probably know this or that. <laughs> I, I mean, your, <laughs> your podcast isn't long enough to go over that list. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. And I'm sure all coaches go through this. You look back to your first few years and it's like cringeworthy, right? Yeah. I mean, you just, God, I wish I handled this situation. That such, I just, I wish my overall makeup was different than what it was, but I mean, it's, you only know that by going through it, by learning about it. So I showed up and I was a, I was an aggressive and energetic coach trying to establish myself as much as these players were trying to establish themselves. And I mean, looking back, I think the main things I would do differently is I would just slam on the brakes a little bit and I would, I would care less about me being a head coach and I would care more about the players, uh, in their career. Um, but, but it was just, it just went so fast. It was so wild. It was literally like getting on a treadmill that was going a hundred and I just tried to keep up. And I mean, we were incredibly talented. We went to the state semifinals that my first year to, you know, n not because of me, but really in spite of me. I mean, they were just that good. And, uh, and we just had some tremendous years after that. So I was able to finally settle in, but it was, you know, I, I cared a lot about myself as a head coach at that point. And, and I think that's what really, where my drawbacks were as a coach at that time. Yeah, I think uh, that's kind of been a common theme from people I've talked to and then obviously people I know in my own life too. But just uh, And then my own experiences for sure. The first couple of years, it's like uh, it is, it's really hard to get out of that. It's all about me mindset because I'm the head coach and this is my record in the program. And uh, it takes it takes a little while to to realize that it is it's not about us and totally. our record. Like nobody, you know, twenty years from now, they're not going to really care about you know the record. They're going to care about you and how you treated them and how you've made them feel and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I think it's it's almost impossible to not go through that. I mean, I, it's because people can tell you that till they're till they're blue in the face, right? But until you actually experience it. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely true. I think all of us are like that. And I think everybody has to just kind of experience it to know because, uh, you know, I've said this before, too, you don't really know what you don't know about coaching until you've, you've done it. And you kind of have to make totally. those mistakes on your own. And I think any good coach probably looks back at the coach he was five or 10 years ago. And like you said, it almost cringes at it because they're like, oh, my gosh. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I think you have to go through it and I think you have to experience it. Um, obviously at, at Redlands East Valley, you were really successful as a program, right? I mean, you guys won, uh, you know, if winning was the measure of success, obviously you won a lot of games, but you also had a, a lot of players go on obviously to play college baseball. You had players that ended up being drafted. Um, can you kind of talk through like how, you know, if you were to, to uh, outside of player talent, um, kind of boil some things down some big lessons that um, kind of helped your program be successful what are some of the things you guys were doing over there yeah I mean we we were kind of a pitching factory especially early on we had a second round pick my second year we had my I think my fourth year we had two six foot six pitchers a righty and a lefty one went to Pepperdine the other went to Santa Barbara both played minor league ball uh and so I mean we were just kind of and then Chatwood obviously an injury so we're kind of a pitching factory but um, it's funny because by the end, my last year was maybe my favorite team 
and we weren't nearly as talented as a lot of my earlier teams. We had a third high school come to our city near the end of my reign there and and kind of split it up. When I first took over Rev, we had 3,700 students. When I left, we had 2,200. So it kind of spread everything thin a little bit. Um, we were still really successful, but it was just, it was a different kind of team dynamic. It was a different talent pool. And, you know, you adapt uh, and overcome. But it was, uh, you know, my favorite thing about running a high school program was all the things that you get to do outside of just playing games, right? All the things you get to build the traditions you get to build, the different events you get to create. I mean, that's what I think I miss is that you have this whole program, you have 60, 70 kids in it, all their families, and you get to do and create all these different traditions and all these different events and whatnot. And I think that was that's what I'm maybe most proud of when I left was kind of this, this uh, run of different things that this program did every year that I think this, the players and the families really liked. What type of stuff can you give us an example of something that you guys did? Yeah, and and I mean in SoCal it's a different culture, right? Because you guys up here you essentially have have baseball season in the spring, but down there we started in August. I had baseball sixth period class. So I taught one through four, I had fifth period prep, and then sixth period was baseball class. So we were practicing about one o'clock every day. And in the fall, we had, you know, 50 kids in that class and not all of them would make the spring class. But so we started in the fall, we would play 25 or so fall games. Um, and in the fall, we would do all sorts of fun stuff. We would do, we, we established at the end of the fall season, a red gray classic is what we called it, where the seniors, they didn't play. They got to come in with our coaching staff and they drafted two teams. The seniors got a draft they created these two teams, the red team and the gray team. And then they had a week to run practices. And so, you know, I, you know, if I have 10 seniors, five of these seniors ran the red team practices for a week, the other five ran the gray team practices. And then on Saturday, the culmination of our fall league, they would run the red gray classic. And it was just a nine inning game and they coached it. And us coaches just got to sit in the stands and watch. And it was such a cool event because, you know, we had a big barbecue afterwards and whatnot, but a lot of those kids weren't going to play in the spring. They just want to make the program. They want to make a team. But for the seniors about to go into their senior year, they were able to get a taste of what coaching is like. And I'm adamant that nothing is better for a player. Nothing is, is more uh, productive for a player than to see what it's like to be a coach, to just get a taste of coaching because it changes your perspective completely. So those seniors, after a week of practice, planning, lineup planning and all that. I think they kind of had a new appreciation going into the spring season. So that was one of the cool things we did. Um, Friday mornings, we had EM and the AM where there's this speed and strength training facility out in Rancho Cucamonga that would come out every Friday morning at 6 AM and work the guys out for an hour on the field. And the guys loved that. Um, we had a, a tr weight training program. We ran obviously uh, four out of five days a week. We would do kangaroo court which I know in 2021, that's probably, you know, people like, Oh my God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that. That's the third rail. <laughs> type stuff. But uh, it was cool. Cause we had a clubhouse on campus all, all week long. They could submit, you know, kangaroo court claims. And then the seniors were the panel and everyone showed up at lunch on Thursday. And, and I was there, you know, making sure everything was going fine. And I'll pull it out and say, here's the defendant. They're accusing so-and-so of this. And they would sit in the middle and they would have a minute to, lay out their case and meant to defend themselves. And then the seniors came on judgment and, and it was just so funny. And some of the funniest uh, memories we had were from that. So 
that was all stuff we did in the fall, really kind of building a culture and, and building who we were. And then, and then we made teams and, and it was go time in the winter. We, we played about 10 more games in the winter. And then obviously the end of February, we started our actual season. So man, you know, thinking back, we had 50, 60 games with these guys each year. So it was, uh, it was very baseball heavy. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and you know, obviously living in Oregon now, it's uh, what we're allowed to do with our kids is we can do a decent amount of stuff in the off season, but it is nothing uh, like what a lot of states are able to do with, especially having, uh, I just imagine trying to pitch a, an idea to a, a school district in Oregon of having uh, our <laughs> baseball class during the school day. And it would be, there would be, uh, <laughs> it would be a problem. Oh, totally. Uh, it, they would look at you sideways. Yeah, it just it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I don't know. One of the first things that comes to mind is, you know, the the push for playing multiple sports mm-hmm. and how having having those classes as part of the day uh, actually you know, allows you to create that culture within your baseball program to do baseball stuff. And then kids can still go play other sports. Yeah, I mean, it's that was one of the aspects. Well, so let me put it this way. One of the reasons we wanted to move up to Bend, I mean, I'm from a mountain town anyway, but my wife and I chose not to raise our kids in a in a culture that was so predominantly single sported or, or mm-hmm. we just didn't love the the lack of balance um and i think the culture down there just creates it i mean 95 percent of my kids were one sport athletes by the time they were sophomores yeah and and it was great because boy what an an amazing baseball player that creates right sure. i mean they've been playing that 12 months out of the year for the last seven years but, you know, I didn't really agree with not being, not uh, playing multiple sports. I was a multiple sport athlete myself. And, and there were rifts, you know, sometimes between coaches and whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's just how it was down there. We had, we did have multi-sport athletes, obviously the studs, you know, actually we just had a first round draft pick in the NFL. Jalen Phillips went to the Dolphins. Yeah. He, uh, he, he played baseball for me. He, he was obviously a, stud football player i think he was the number one recruit out there went to ucla but he was a dh for me sophomore and junior year so we did have them but there wasn't much balance for these kids and uh and i mean the problem with that is that they lose their passion for baseball there's they don't have any other sports that they've been playing for the last few years and so i do think that's one of the the downsides to that sort of culture yeah, absolutely. I can imagine you playing your freshman, sophomore year, and then you get to your junior year and maybe maybe you're not panning out the way you want it to. Maybe maybe you're just losing, like you said, losing your love for it. And yeah. if you haven't been playing other sports, good luck. Like you're probably done playing sports at the high school. Totally. Level. Yeah. Kind of all eggs in one basket. Hopefully it works out. And if not, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But uh, some really cool things in there. Uh, one of the, the the early part, the red gray classic to me, that sounds so awesome because not only like you mentioned, you're getting seniors a chance to coach that helps mm-hmm. them <laughs> better understand what coaches go through, which I think uh, some players that I can say this as a player myself, I had no idea uh, totally. all the different parts of coaching. Like I, I, no concept whatsoever. So that part I think is awesome. And then also I thought it's really cool because now you're creating this culture of, seniors taking care of juniors sophomores and freshmen those guys are getting exposed to each other they're playing on the same team they're creating this group Mm -hmm. that they can kind of be connected to even through the rest of the school year probably because they played on that same little team together that their their group of seniors drafted them on totally yeah and i think that's a huge thing is 
you know, making sure that your senior class or leaders, I've, I've never been a captain guy. Um, I think maybe my first year or two, I selected captains and then I got away from it quickly. I wanted my whole senior class to be leaders. And, and, you know, you have plenty of seniors who aren't, aren't necessarily the studs on the team, but they can bring a lot of value. And so, yeah, creating that leadership for the whole senior class themselves. I think that that was one of the things that kind of bred it, but I was never a captain's guy. I don't know how you feel about it, but I never liked that idea of singling out just a couple guys as seniors. Yeah. I think for me, I, in high school, we didn't have team captains either. And as a coach, so, you know, as a coach, it's never been something that I've done. Uh, and I never really thought through the reasons why I haven't done it. It's probably just been because I haven't done it before. And so I just sure. didn't bother with it. Um, but I had uh, way back early in this podcast, I think it was episode five, Sandra Prosperino, soccer coach, like we were talking about off air. And uh-huh. he uh, he had talked about, he, he dove into talking about captains and how he he did them for a year or two and then he stopped doing them. And kind of like you were saying, he he stopped doing captains because he realized that if you just assign that role to a couple of kids, uh, what happens if if you are also a senior or you know you want to be a leader and you have something to say and you want to speak up, but you're nervous or scared to because you're not a captain? Or what if you are a captain and it turns out you're not a very good captain at speaking up and getting things done? And uh, totally. or like you mentioned too, what if you're not very good? And if you're not very good, usually, I mean, I, I can't speak for all coaches and I've never chosen captains, so who knows? But I assume a lot of the times the captains are also going to be pretty good at the sport. And so same thing. Sure. Like what if you're what if you're not very good, but you have a lot to offer in in leadership and guys aren't gonna listen to you because you don't have that that C on your chest. So yeah, I, I haven't ever done captains. I don't plan on doing them and I'm sure there's good good parts to it, but Yeah, I just I can't see any and again, like you said, maybe there's we're just not thinking about it. I can't see yeah. any path that it, it really brings a lot to it. I mean, if it brings leadership for them, well then that would have happened naturally anyway. Or it should have. Um I feel like all it does is close doors rather than open doors. Yeah, I agree. What what Sandra does over there in, in New York with the soccer teams is at the end of the year, um, every senior gets uh, like a captain C that they get to keep or take with them or whatever. So oh, that's every, cool. at the end of the year, every senior ends up being a captain on the team uh, by the time they graduate. So it's kind of a cool, cool deal to build that in. But um, yeah, but yeah no, I, I never got into captains, never did. And I think that's that kind of encapsulates why. We uh, go along with what you're just talking about, about that coach out in New York. At the end of every year at our banquet, my last few years, we did senior speeches where seniors were asked to go up and give a speech. Hmm. And that was one of the coolest things we ever did because, I mean, talk, you know, you know, these kids, as, well, most people know them as baseball players. But when they are allowed to give a speech, they go up and somebody who might not have been that great at baseball, but is very eloquent or is just very well-spoken or, you know, funny, they get up there and it's like they get a really kind of bloom in that scenario. And they were just some of the funniest speeches, some of the heartfelt, most heartfelt speeches. It was always one of the highlights. Um, and so that was something I was I was stoked we did and wish we would have done my whole career. Did you do anything else with seniors that was kind of cool? We did. My, my, my senior day ceremony was one of my favorite things. So let's say you had senior day on like Thursday. At the start of the week, those seniors would take uh, one of their jerseys that we aren't going to wear on Thursday, ho- hopefully washed, and take it <laughs> to their favorite staff member 
on campus could be secretary, teacher, you know, security guard, whoever. And they would give them the jersey and they would give them this piece of paper and they would explain on the piece of paper, you know, essentially it's our senior day this this Thursday. You are my favorite staff member because, and there's this area where they wrote it all in and said, because of this, here's what we would like you to do if, if you want to accept this week. And so they would give them the jersey. And then on Thursday, the staff member would wear the jersey to school. So they'd be rocking, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, Justin wears jersey all day on Thursday. And then for the senior day celebration, they would come down and obviously you have the parents there, the sisters, brothers, girlfriends, you know, what have you. And you do the little ceremony beforehand, I would stand at home plate, say a couple of things about seniors. They would come out, get their roses with their parents, but with their parents also would be the staff member. So then they would all line up, take their pictures and whatnot. Parents and, and family members would leave the field and the players would pull out a baseball. And on the baseball, I'm actually looking at one right now because after I was done at Rev, one of the seniors asked me to do this. So I actually got to participate in this <laughs> tradition that I started, which was awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, so you write on it, senior first pitch. This says Coach Cordes from Ryan Silva. Ryan Silva is a pitcher at Cal Baptist right now. Um, and so you hand it to him. And so the staff members, they were going to be throwing out the first pitch to their seniors. And so they would go out and obviously it depends on the number of seniors, but they would line up, you know, along kind of a, a, a mound you know, obviously not the full mound, but in front and uh, the seniors would go and crouch down. And on the count of three, the staff members would throw out a first pitch to the seniors crouch down as catchers. And it was so cool because, I mean, one, it was a great photo opportunity. And two, I mean, half the balls would just go flying or rolling or all <laughs> over the place. But it was awesome because it brought together this idea of family, of school, of baseball, all in one place. The, the teachers absolutely loved it. They talked about it all the time. Uh, the parents got to see their their son interact with these staff members. So it was something that I, I was stoked that we came up with and that we did. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah, what a cool way to bring everybody together. Uh, you know, we were kind of talking off there, too, as a, as a coach, you get kind of locked into your own little world. And you you don't always bring other worlds with it because you're just so focused on whatever your whatever sport in this case baseball that you're coaching. Same thing for kids. You know you don't really get the crossover with bringing staff members along to games. You know some staff members come, but I, I imagine for some of those teachers and staff members or security guards or whoever, I imagine for some of them it might even be the first time they've come to a high school baseball game. Yeah, totally. You know they know the kids and whatnot, but there's always a reason not to. Uh you know, not to come to that game or whatnot. So it got them down to the field and, and on the field throwing a pitch. So that's, it was a really cool experience. That's awesome. Yeah, really cool. Our, our senior night's coming up here in a couple of weeks. So I'm kind of trying to think of new outside the box ideas because of how, you know, I mean, it's been these, for this group, this is a really special year just because of having lost, you know, their entire junior season. And totally. they only get, they only get half of this season really. And so just trying to, find new and, and good ways to to kind of honor them and their families and all the work that they've put in, uh, knowing that they didn't get to have that full high school experience that everybody else has had for you know, since the beginning of time in our country. Yeah, I mean, it's COVID, so I don't know if you're allowed to give jerseys to teachers. but uh... <laughs> I know, that's what I'm thinking for. I'm like, man, the baseball is like, there's just all these rules now. The like, baseball, oh my gosh, yeah, like, how do we do this? You have to put sanitizer <laughs> on the baseballs as they hand it to the, yeah, it's just too much. Too many moving parts in this COVID world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Be creative. Uh, I wanted to, before we transition into the private side, because I think there's a lot that people can learn from your move away from high school athletics. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and you had mentioned to me earlier this state championship game where you lost by oh. a run. And I wanted to give you a chance just to kind of dive into that and kind of unpack it. This is it. so cool because, I mean, it's, it's heart-wrenching. And I think about it all the time. But any coach who really prepares their teams, I think, can appreciate the story. So, again, my last year at Rev, it's 2016. We have this just incredible team with incredible tech chemistry. It's a lot of talent, too. But we end up making this run through the playoffs. We win, like, four straight one-run games. We didn't really have any business beating any of these teams. Uh, La Mirada, Dos Pueblos, um, uh, I forget a couple of the other two. But anyway, we make it to the stadium to play South Hills High School. And South Hills High School at that time, they were ranked nationally. I think they were 18th nationally. They were just absolutely loaded. Seven of their nine starters were going D1. They were just, they were stupid good. And uh, so we go into the game and we're just riding this. This, uh, you know, winning streak, this this positive energy, these vibes. Our starter, uh, Andrew Miner, who came from an incredible family, very devout Mormon family. He was in Utah until the morning of the game, flew in to start the game. He was at his brother's wedding, I believe. It was like 105, ball was sticky. He battled for two innings. I went to our closer in the third inning, this kid named Noah Moya, who was an absolute stud. He ended up pitching a saddleback. Um, he took the rock for, I think, four innings, longer than he had thrown all year and was incredible. Anyway, we get to the bottom of the six. We're down four to three. We safety squeeze. They kick it around. We score around four to four. Very next pitch, Justin Ware puts down a suicide squeeze. We take the lead five four, just like that. So we're feeling great. Ryan Silver, who I just mentioned on that senior pitch ball, he was our, he was our horse all year. He came in to close out the seventh. Uh, they scratched a couple off, top of the lineup. We're down 5-4. So, and this is where we get into to what just I think about all the time. We have the top of the lineup coming up, I think 9-1-2. We get a knock, we get a guy, and we eventually get to first and third, one out. First and third are our very two best base runners, and we ran constantly. It's it's what it was one one of my philosophies still to this day is we're very uber aggressive on the base paths. Polly Rojas at first base, who was um, an all-Cali all Cali player. And at the plate is this sophomore named Christian Kirtley. Now, Christian Kirtley is playing at UC Santa Barbara right now. He's having an incredible year, and is he's an absolute stud. His older brother, Zach Kirtley, played for me. is with the Miners organization – or, excuse me, Cardinals organization. CK comes up. He's our two-hitter. South Hills has this big lefty on the mound. I forget his name. He's going to Cal State Fullerton. We prepared all year for this lefty-lefty first and third, which I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with. You take a large lead at first base. You make sure that that pitcher picks over the guy at third base, steals home, right? It works best if you have a first base, uh, left-handed first baseman as well because they're going to have to turn mm-hmm. to make the throw. We didn't, but this guy was really deliberate on the mound and had my two best base runners. Before the state championship game, I told our team we were going to use this. I swore by it because of this guy. We knew we were going to face him. CK comes up. First pitch was a strike. He didn't go for it. So he's down 0-1, and I'm saying to myself, okay, one more pitch, and we're running this. They're expecting something. They're ahead in the count. I'm expecting probably a pitch out. I'm expecting maybe a step off. I I don't know what's going to happen. I'm saying, I'm going to give this one pitch. This is 100% going to work. No doubt in my mind it's going to work, right? (laughs) Next pitch, CK's rolls into a double play. Game over. 
No. Ground ball to second base, rolls into it. It was just, I was at third base like, oh, my God, that did not just happen. One pitch away from running this play that we had worked on all year. We had never run it in the perfect scenario. And I didn't pull the trigger in time. And uh, I'm close with that family, the Curtley family. Greg, the dad, gives me crap all the time about it. You know, why wasn't Polly running? He should have been running. <laughs> this and that. Um, <laughs> but I just think it was, you know, as a coach, we prepare for these situations all the time. And uh, this one just about came to roost, and I just didn't pull the trigger on time. And maybe it cost us a state championship, but it is what it is. Dang, that's a tough one. <laughs> oh my gosh. It, it, it really was just because, God, it would have worked absolutely perfectly. But, oh, well, I don't give take signs as coach. I don't like take signs offensively. I want kids to be aggressive. So I'm not going to obviously give CK a take in that scenario. I should just put it on. But that's how it goes sometimes. No. Well, yeah, and what if the you know opposing pitcher throws a ball right down the middle and he crashes totally. in? And, you get a double and you score two runs and the game's over. So you don't totally, you never know. That's true. <laughs> but man, that's oh, frustrating. Double play dog pile before I even knew what happened. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we, that, that's so frustrating. Baseball is such a, well, I'm sure all sports are like this too. You just have moments like that that you'll, you'll remember that till, till the rest 100%. of your life. Your whole team will remember that for the rest of their life. Their families will. You're like, man, we were so close. Oh, I, we just, I mean, C- CK happen. and I talk about all the time. I went out and watched him play at Oregon State last year and we were bullshitting after the, after the game and talking about that. That's, that's always the one thing we gravitate to is that at bat. well yeah so that was so so that turned out to be your your last game as a high school that was it yeah earlier in the year my wife and i visited bend uh we decided we wanted to make the move so uh so i I mean the way i looked at it is i devoted you know i was i was at rev for eight years i spent all my 20s into my 30s with baseball running my life and i would have it no other way at that time it was an incredible way to learn about it all but i was ready to get some balance back in my life we were ready to get out of southern california so and i love that team so it was kind of a perfect ending to it all yeah no kidding it seems like a, a good time to walk away from it uh even even despite the way it all ended uh, and and make that transition out of high school coaching. So uh, can you kind of, so I, obviously, you know, living in Oregon, I even lived in Bend for a year, kind of familiar with mm-hmm. the area, but can you kind of help those who are listening, who have no idea, uh, kind of just give them a rundown of where Bend is, what it's like, and then also what it is that you're actually doing. Yeah, right totally. Now. So Bend is, you know, central Oregon, right next to uh, the Sisters Mountains, a bunch of volcanoes. Just an incredible kind of outdoor community. It's really booming right now. Big remote working community where people can just come and, you know, go hiking, go skiing. Uh, the Deschutes River runs right through the city. So it's just a very outdoor-oriented community. I mean, we're about to actually go up to Tumalo Falls after this podcast. So people are always out about doing stuff. And it's just a rad community with with a lot to offer. So that's, that's banned in Central Oregon. What I'm doing out here is is when I came up here, I became the head coach of the Ben Bucks. And the Ben Bucks, nobody knows who the Ben Bucks are, but they're essentially the feeder team to the Ben Elks, and the Ben Elks are a West Coast League team. So it's a post-high school 
um, early college team, mostly local kids here in Central Oregon who are playing college baseball or want to play college baseball. They play for me on the Ben Bucks. They have an opportunity to get called up to the Elks, but we essentially play 30 to 35 games on the Bucks. So I'm going into my fifth summer doing that. Um, I think what you were referencing, Coach, was what I'm doing with Boss Baseball as well. So there's a training facility here in Bend called Boss Sports Performance, started by Kevin Boss, former tight end for the Giants, Super Bowl champion. It's an incredible facility. Trains all sorts of athletes, you know, NFL players, MLB players, Kyle Higashioka for the Yankees is training here, the Hollister brothers, um, and then a lot of high school and youth teams and whatnot. It's just a really cool facility. And Kevin and I became really good buddies. And a couple of years ago, we decided to branch off a little bit and see if we could create some some you know sports teams from the facility so we started boss baseball they actually just started boss basketball this past year and the reason that we have this opportunity is here in central oregon there's no legion baseball um there's no high school travel baseball all there is in the summertime are high school teams um, which is great but a lot of these high school coaches are using summer to focus on their incoming freshmen, freshmen and sophomore, their younger kids to really get their philosophies, the pedagogies instilled in these kiddos. And so there was a need for the, you know, the junior, the real good ball player who's a junior, who's going to be a senior uh, to play at a high level. So we started boss baseball and we essentially have a triple A Legion team. So our boss baseball, 18 U and then a single A Legion team, our boss baseball, 16 U. So I'm the president of that. So I organize the schedules, make the rosters and, hire the coaches and whatnot. So summertime is a busy time with baseball right now. Yeah. It's funny having, you know, I, I was able to live in Bend for a year right out of college while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my wife's family lives in sisters. So we were, we're in central Oregon quite a bit. It's a, it's a gorgeous place. And I don't know that there's a better place in Oregon to live uh, than in central Oregon. It's absolutely amazing. But um, yeah, you were, you were mentioning, you know, with the, with the baseball side, especially the, the, the high school teams in Oregon tend to be the mostly made up of like, if I was going to compare it to a team, it'd be kind of like a JV team mm-hmm. basically. Uh, and, and so the, the Legion teams that are around are really important and not having one like that in bend uh, is quite strange because like you were saying, like, what do they do? Totally. Then? Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a, if you're a really high quality, let's say you're a junior baseball player and you're a really good baseball player in central Oregon, if you play for the kind of normal high school team, your 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 opponents, a lot of the pitchers you're going to see, the hitters you're going to see, aren't going to be quite as high level as you are. And so, I, you know, are you really going to get better in that situation? And so, I think what you guys are doing in Central Oregon is filling a void that needed to be filled really uh, badly. Yeah, it definitely did. And the and the Ben Bucks used to be more high school oriented. It shifted more college because there's a need for these college kids who are coming back after freshman year. And there are a bunch of other feeder teams as well for West coast league teams. So the Ben Bucks have a need for that older, which opens up obviously this need for boss baseball. So yeah, I mean, we're just kind of creating an American Legion experience. We play a bunch of Legion teams and, and that's what we're doing for these kids here. So you're, you're on the private side now and in baseball, there's always this, this conversation of uh, the travel ball in the high school. And there's always, there's always seems to be groups of people that are trying to make the two be against each other, be on different sides totally. of each other. As someone who's now been, you were, you were really successful at the high school level. So people can't look at you and be like, yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's only ever done travel yeah. ball, right? Uh, and so then obviously you've, you're on the, the private side now. 
can you kind of, for, for listeners, kind of take us through what are some of the key takeaways or differences or things that you've learned about, uh, tr- you know, being a high school coach versus being kind of the, the, the president of a travel bar? Uh, travel yeah, bar I mean, team? I think the biggest takeaway is, and, and you know, I mean, I see this stuff on Twitter all the time, and you never want to engage, but, mm-hmm. you know, high school coaches, nope. and I was there, I, I didn't like travel ball organizations either. It's like, it's like a card you have to carry as a high school coach, right. To, to not like these private organizations. And, and so I was the same way. Here's my take on it is, and I, I think I do a good job. I, I'm not in this for the money. I'm not in this to make a lot of money off of these kids. I'm in this to, to create an experience for them. And so are my coaches. And so I believe we do a really good job on the private side. And I believe there are a lot of other coaches who do a really good job on the private side are in it for the right reasons and, and everything is as it should be. Likewise, I believe there are plenty of high school coaches out there who are just cashing a stipend, who are just rolling balls out for BP and hitting fungos and not really engaging. So my argument would be there's great and there's a lot to be desired in both high school coaching and in travel ball coaching. And so I think to pigeonhole and say, all high school coaches are doing the very best they can or in it for the right reasons. I I think that's incorrect to call all travel ball coaches, just chasing money, doing it for their own good. I think that's incorrect as well. Um, And I think it's, I think it's just lazy to make those judgments. Yeah. I was just going to say, I I know, I know plenty of travel ball coaches who are certainly not making pretty much any money doing it. It's not, it's a. It would be a really tough business to get rich in. I'll tell you what. <laughs> if, much yeah, if, tra- if people think travel coaches are in it just for the money, well, then those travel coaches aren't very smart because they're not really making any money. I mean, ultimately, that's just the case. Now, <laughs> if you own a facility or something like that, yeah. maybe it, it helps that business. We don't have a facility here for baseball. But, I mean, I just think it's part of being a high school coach that you need to dislike these private hitting instructors, pitching instructors. And I get all that. I mean, I had plenty of players who had these private coaches. My thing was always this. As a coach, you need to be secure enough to let your players go and learn from different voices. I mean, in in the summer down in California, so here's the rule in Southern California, at least it was when I was there. All you had to do was take three weeks off of baseball. So we had a three-week mandatory freeze that you had to choose sometime in June, July, or August. Otherwise, you could play games, practice, do whatever you want, no time limits with your players 11 months and one week out of the year. Most high school coaches, the minute, I mean, in May, before high school is even over, you're starting to get emails about schedules for the summer which blew my mind. The last thing I want to do was to play another 20 or 30 games that summer. The last thing the players want to do was listen to me for another two months out of the summer. <laughs> and so I, my argument was always go play with someone, go this summer and play with another coach. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll hate it. Either way, you're going to get something from that rather than listen to my voice for the next two months. And so I think if, if as a coach, you're secure enough to believe that your player will benefit in some way listening to another voice, then these, these private instructors shouldn't, shouldn't affect you. It shouldn't bother you. Now, I mean, are there degrees to this? Certainly, if, if a kid shows up and says, I'm not going to do it this way, my private instructor said I should do it only this way, that's an issue. You know, instructors should, should say, hey, default, you always listen to your high school coach. 
you know, but here's what we're working on. So, I mean, there are degrees to this, but it should only be a problem. Well, it, it shouldn't be a problem if you're secure as a coach. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I had a really good lesson, not even a lesson really, but just my, I had no, I didn't really have qualms about it. But my first year as the the head coach at South Salem, we had a kid named Aaron Zavala who was pretty good. Yeah, he's and, at Oregon uh, he's, now, right? He's his, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was entering his junior year and he, we, we did tons of off-season stuff and off-season hitting stuff. And uh, I remember early on when I was there, my, my first off season there. And he, you know, sent me, Hey, I'm not going to be at hitting tonight. Cause I'm hitting up at, at my, with my private people. And my first thought like was like what you're mentioning. It's like, well, wait, I'm a high school coach. So I've got to have this card in my pocket <laughs> of like, well, that's not, you, you can't skip our hitting for their hitting. Like ours is definitely totally. better. Uh, but I, you know, obviously I obviously didn't say that. And, you know, I, looking back, it was great. Like he, anytime he went to his, his, PBC up and up at kind of outside of Portland was great. Uh, obviously it worked out incredibly well for him. He'd come back having being a better hitter every time. Like it, like it, uh, I was able to just let that go. Like, cool, man, that's fantastic. And it's worked out really well for him. And so it's like, well, great. Like this works out great for everybody. I think, but I think there's that fear that a lot of, a lot of high school coaches have is just like, well, you know, I, I have to do it this way. And if, if that player is not doing it this way, then, well, and I think, like you mentioned, it just kind of comes back to ego. Yeah. And I think ultimately we're all just people being people. And if we, if we can let our egos go and just, if we're truly honestly doing what we think is best for kids, like we should have no issues. Well, with good this. on you. You know, your first, I don't know if I could have done that my first year. I probably would have puffed my chest out and you know <laughs> what I mean? So good on you for being able to do that. And, and I mean, you being at South Sam High School, obviously one of the elite programs here in Oregon, I'm sure you have plenty of kids who, who play in the summertime for this team or that team or have instructions or instructors pitching, coaching or pitching, hitting, that sort of stuff. So I'm sure you, you face this sort of stuff quite a bit. And I mean, like you said, if they go there and they become better and they come back to your program better than your program's better. Meanwhile, You've been working with maybe some younger kids or some, some you know, B-level kids who you're trying to bring up today. So everyone's really getting better. Yeah, that's a, that's another part I've never really thought about. But all that time that I would have been talking with Zavala during hitting, I was then spending talking to that freshman kid over there, that totally. sophomore kid or whatever. Like, uh, And he's not, not, he's not taking their reps, so to speak, away. Like they're getting more opportunities to yeah. swing. And uh, yeah, everybody ends up winning. And like you said, man, if, if, if all my players wanted to go and play for different teams during the summer, uh, good for them and great for me and my family too. Like everybody would totally. win. That would be fantastic. Like you said, like right now, that's what I'm doing is I'm trying to build our summer schedule right now. And it's like, yeah, you know, I, again, these kids get to go and they have to listen to me and my coaching staff again, <laughs> say and do the same things that we've been doing yep. already. Yeah. So more voices would be great. Yeah, man. Uh, but I mean, for you guys, it's it's obviously different because you just have the spring. So summer is incredibly valuable to you guys because then in the fall and the winter, oh, yeah. you don't have them. So it's that's definitely a different dynamic. I You know, back to kind of the private versus high school. I know, you know, the fees that people pay, people always make a big deal about that. And, you know, as president, I, I have our budget and I'm balancing our budget all the time. And I think the one thing high school coaches don't think about is it's really expensive to run these sort of organizations and programs. I mean, we don't have a budget. We don't have a school that's giving us money or giving us a facility or buying us uniforms. And I know you have to fundraise, 
Um, you know, we obviously fundraise all the time too, but we don't fundraise because we don't want to dip into any fundraising that the high schools need to be doing. Right. I mean, the last thing a summer kid wants or a player wants to do is come in the summer and ask to fundraise. That should be done for high school. High school <laughs> needs that money. I get no that. kidding. And so, I mean, fees always come into play, but it's like, you know, our budgets are open books. Look at how much all of this costs. You know, Vince Gennett costs a lot of money to run out every summer. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's too bad that there's this divide between private and public. And I always joke when I first came up here that my high school buddies on SoCal probably, you know, think I went to the dark side and, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's whatever, if they want to think that that's fine, but you know, we're all just, we're all just making our way. You know, we're all just, I, I want to coach baseball and this is how I can coach it up here. I don't want to be a high school coach again. Uh, and so this is the way to do it. So, uh, it's too bad there's that rift, but hopefully through communication, through Twitter, through all this sort of stuff where coaches have a better chance to connect, maybe that wall comes down a little bit. I hope so. Twitter was good for me in that respect. Twitter can be obviously accessible for a lot of reasons, but it helped me be able to talk to guys on the private side and learn from them. And it's like, you know, there's there's tons of guys that I would consider friends that I've met over Twitter who are private baseball mm -hmm. coaches, and I've learned so incredibly much from them and it's kind of helped form my opinions on on private side because it like i said earlier like a kid's gonna go there and get better and i can focus on other kids and then our whole program gets yeah. better like who's losing in this situation well, it, you know and ultimately I mean? there's no more pride that kid has than putting on their high school jersey their senior year and and representing that team it doesn't matter how good a, a travel ball team is it doesn't matter how how good of a job you do in summer ball, nothing will ever beat playing your crosstown rivals in your high school jersey. And as, and as long as high school coaches realize that, then everything should be fine. Yeah, you would think so. <laughs> I mean, going back to your your experiences in in high school and on the private side, I know you just mentioned you'd never go back to coaching at the high school level. Can you kind of dive into that? What are the what are the big reasons? I for mean, that? honestly, the amount of stuff you have to do outside of coaching um obviously the, the groundskeeping the fundraising all that sort of stuff and you know I, I said i spent my 20s and early 30s doing all that every day and our high school field looked incredible yeah. and and we raised a lot of money and and i i gave my heart and soul to it i don't i don't want to do that you know i i want to have a lot more balance in my life um, I don't want to worry about that all the time. I don't want to spend Sundays mowing my field and that's just me. And, and for some, for some coaches, that's absolutely what they want to do. But because of all that comes with it, I wouldn't want to do it. And then obviously there's also just, I think high school coaches are targets for parents. They, they're, there isn't much compassion given towards high school coaches. Um, I think a lot of parents act like, they're they're owed something by high school coaches and so you know there's always that dynamic and unless you have a strong administration with a backbone lots of times you know parents kind of rule um over coaches in a lot of ways too so that whole dynamic i mean in, in eight years at rev we were always successful but obviously with success there's there breeds jealousy and that sort of stuff too. And we had parental conflicts and we had parents complain about this and that too and and it was just kind of the ugly side of it all yeah i there's a lot to dive in there, but yeah, there's, there is a, a big part of that side of, of coaching high school where 
I have to make a choice, you know, today between hanging out with my family or going and <laughs> mowing yeah. the field or uh, th- then you get a parent email, you know, at seven o'clock at night and you read it and then it, you know, ruins the rest of your night. <laughs> totally. so you're thinking about it all the next morning and uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. There's definitely parts that aren't great. But, but I mean, also in the same respect, you give it a few years and your son's going to be by your side, everything you're doing in the field too. So, I mean, that's pretty awesome as well. And that's where I have it pretty good because we play our games again. I'm not mowing there, but but my son Quinn also is able to experience having his dad as a coach, and I think that's a pretty neat experience for him, for him. So I'm in a really good situation here. If I didn't have this situation, would my stance on being a high school coach again change? Perhaps I don't know. Um, I just know I don't miss I don't miss mowing the field or worrying about fertilizing or <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't miss it, but I do. <laughs> I do it every day. Our, our field, so our field is uh, in kind of it's kind of off campus, and so what I basically have to go to the field more or less every single day and just make sure it didn't get broken oh into. Oh my gosh! Like that's that's a that's a big part of what I do because it there our barn will get broken into every I don't know about once every couple of months. So oh what a hassle! I just hope people don't take a lot of totally. stuff. It's just <laughs> it's the worst, man. It sucks. Yeah, that's hard. Um, but yeah, I still love coaching high school, so I don't people listening to be like, ah, it's, this is horrible. I don't want to do this. Like it's fantastic. There's just like, you, there's a lot that goes into it. That's, that's not included in actually coaching the sport. I always and said that's to anyone, a big thing people yeah, need to I always said to anyone who listened, I, I felt like I was coaching about 25% of the time. Um, and everything else was spent groundskeeping, fundraising, managing coaches, um, obviously managing players, but like the actual, the baseball side of it all felt about 25% of the time. But I mean, Again, it's it, you get out what you put into it, so maybe I was overdoing it too. Um, but you, you're right. Being a high school coach, when you're in the middle of your season and you got that squad that's just clicking, and you got your you know your rivals come. I mean, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. So there are obviously a lot of pluses and positives to it. Yeah, for sure. One one thing I wanted to get into before I let you go uh, is is your as a high school coach and then now on the, on the private side and, and trying to help uh, coaches who might be either younger than you or just maybe less experienced and helping them uh, in their journeys to become better coaches and trying to mentor them. What are some of the main things you try to try to impart upon younger or maybe less experienced coaches who happen to to be? Yeah, that's a good question. We actually just give, you know, I mentioned to you, we do, so boss baseball does a bunch of free coaching clinics throughout the winter and spring. So we just did a, a free coaching clinic for Ben North Little League coaches a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and I touch on some of this stuff and for a lot of these little, little uh, league coaches, it's over their head. But the things that I try to impart on new coaches and maybe the number one thing is I call it show coaching. I said, the very first thing you need to do as a baseball coach is to stop show coaching. And I was such I was, you know, I did this more than anything in my first couple years. I remember there's an article written about me, a column at Rev my first year. And this columnist described me as a tiger prowling in front of the dugout. And I I think about that line. I'm like, God, what a loser I was. uh, (laughs) But but what I mean by show coaching is you have to be secure enough as a coach not to react when something bad happens. Don't just coach Mm -hmm. because something bad happens and you think you need to react so that everyone knows that you know something, something wrong occurred. I think the best coaches sit back in a game, whether something good happens or something bad happens, 
you look at them and, and their demeanor doesn't really change. Um, the last thing a kid needs is to see their coach reacting to the mistake they already made. They already let themselves down. They already let their, their team down. They look in and they see their coach yelling at them because their footwork was wrong because whatever went wrong, that's the last thing they need. And so the first thing I try to impart on these coaches is get rid of show coaching. Just do your coaching one-on-one or in small groups when most people aren't going to see it. I mean, realistically, 90% of your coaching, maybe more, should happen when nobody can see it, at least nobody in the stands. And you need to be secure enough as a coach that that's okay. Um, And part of that is also at at the third-base coaching box. Don't coach from the third-base coaching box. Do not coach up your hitter. That is not your job. Hitting is already the hardest thing to do in all sports. When that guy looks down and he's getting tips from his coach down there because that's all his coach can do at that moment and they feel powerless. And so the only thing that they can do is try to coach to, to get you to get a knock or something like that. That's, that's not your job in the third base coaching box. So I think the biggest thing that I try to impart on these young coaches is to stop trying so hard. Okay. Coach one-on-one coach in small groups. Don't coach by yelling, you know, where everyone can see you. Um, and so and I, I just, one of my assistant coaches for the Bucks this year, a younger guy who's getting into coaching, he was at that clinic. He heard me talk about it. And he texted me like a week later. He said, he said, ever since you said that about, you know, show coaching, I can't stop seeing it and I can't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's, that's one of the things that I talk about. Uh, it's so good. Uh, the way you, you said all that is so spot on. I'm just sitting here like nodding my head like, yes. <laughs> Uh, and I think we've all probably done it. Like you said, I I still do it. Right. I mean, we're human. We all still do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. It's hard, but I mean, it's, it's so true. The kid, when he makes a mistake, he needs to be able to look in the dugout and see that you, uh, that it's not ruining your day that you're not having to, you know, put extra pressure on top of him in addition to the mistake he already made, he knows that he screwed up. Like it, you don't need to have this big showboating thing. And I love the, I love the show coaching Mm -hmm. uh, title too. That's something I'll probably take. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. And there are scenarios, right. Where, where you might need to light up a kid if if they're being blatantly or outwardly disrespectful or something like there are scenarios that this doesn't apply, obviously, but it's, it's coaching because you need, everyone to know that you saw something that that's that's where i kind of take issue to it well it goes back to ego again it's 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 trying to make other people think that you know what you're doing and that you're important and that it matters and we we talk about this with our players too kind of in a different sense but the idea is we don't need you to like slam your helmet when you get in the dugout after you strike out to show us that you care it's like we know that you care same thing as a coach. We don't need you to be a show coach because obviously you care. You want to be sitting yeah. in that dugout well, all day long. That, that brings up someone else I always talk about is what you were just saying about selling your helmet is, you know, during BP, you have a kid in there and he, you know, he fouls to the top of the cage three times in a row. They're slamming their bat. They're all pissed off. And, you know, I've had this conversation with teams all the time. And I go, when you're in the, when you're up there hitting BP and you hit a, just an absolute lean at a left field or something like that, and you just barrel something up and it feels great, you're not jumping up and down celebrating that, right? And so if you don't do that when you succeed, when you fail, you shouldn't be slamming your bat, slamming your helmet either, right? Your reaction should essentially be the same. So if you're not going to celebrate that line drive, there's no reason to, to slam your bat when you fail. Um, otherwise, it's kind of just you're just showing emotion to show it. I think that's what a lot of kids think they're supposed totally. to do. I think that's how they think that 
their teammates will know that they care if I'm really pissed off after, <laughs> you know, hitting a dribble or in a, in BP, then my teammates will know I care. And I think that's something that kids have to get past. I think like you mentioned, the coaches got to get past yeah, that. Yeah, they do. And I mean, it's all development and I mean, everything's hindsight, right? I've been coaching for 17 years now. So I, I was a terrible show coach when I was younger. That's just how it goes. Yeah, but you you learned through living through it, so maybe we're making a mistake by telling people <laughs> there you not go. to do it. Maybe, I don't it know. Helps, maybe it helps a little bit here and there. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Uh, James, loved having you on. Before I let you go, uh, you know, I just wanted to hand the mic over to you and see if there's anything that we missed, or I don't know, some some big lesson that we should have shared, or or uh, advice Man, for I'll, parents or whatever. I'll, that doesn't matter. I'll tell you what. The one of the the coolest thing I ever did as a coach was I coached in the Cape Cod League for three years for the YD Red Sox. And I got that job because I was an Angels Elite assistant coach and Angels Elite down in Southern California. It's like the Los Angeles Angels scout ball team. So we had the best high school kids uh, in the area. In the fall, we would play JC teams at at the Angels Stadium. And we were playing Cypress Community College where Scott Pickler was was the head coach, legendary head coach there. He was the Whitey Red Sox head coach. And I walked over and I I introduced myself and I said, Pick, that's his nickname, if you ever need an assistant on the Cape, I'm your guy. I can throw beeps. I can hit fungos whenever you need it. And I stayed on him for about two years. That was probably 2010. And I eventually went out there my first year in 2012 for him. And I spent three years there. And I've never learned more about baseball than I did in those three years. I feel like I got a master's in baseball spending three summers on the Cape. And, and I guess my point about telling all this is besides, I mean, I, I love the Cape, Conley, more it's just it has such a special place in my heart that first off if you're a baseball coach go out to the cape if not to coach to at least watch um but really the lesson i would share from that is if you want to do something go out there and just keep asking coaches to do it because eventually something will pop up i had no business coaching the cape cod league at that point but something just popped up and i just stayed on and do that go coach somewhere with different coaches I mean, I had a really hard time with Pick because he's a very kind of low-key, laid-back coach. He knows more about baseball than anyone I've ever been around. While I was this fired-up, show-me coach, annoying, you know, late 20-something-year-old. And my coaching philosophies and pedagogy shifted so much from coaching under Pick. So if you're a coach, go and get under somebody. Maybe you'll love it. Maybe you'll hate it. It's kind of like what we're talking about with players, right? Um, But also – in the same sense, go out and to the Cape Cod League if you can, because it's just the most unique baseball experience you'll ever experience. And we even got to win the championship in 2015. And that was, you know, kind of the pinnacle of my coaching career in a lot of ways. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's the last thing I'll leave you with. Yeah, that's awesome. For anyone listening, that's not a baseball person. The Cape Cod League is like the outside of major league baseball, essentially really, to be honest with you, in my opinion, it's like, it is the place to watch baseball uh, in terms of talent and, and, and probably even more so than major league baseball in terms of effort and guys just getting after it. And um, just some of the best baseball players in the country um, get the college level really just down there, just absolutely having totally. Last, yeah. I mean, uh, really that cool 2015 stuff. squad, we beat in the semifinals, we beat Orleans firebirds and their three, four punch were, was Kyle Lewis, who all of us Pacific Northwest guys know, obviously, and Bobby Dahlback, who's now with the Red Sox in the show. So, yeah, I mean, it's there are monsters out there, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, what a cool experience, uh, James. Thank you so much 
for coming on the show. And then obviously the conversation was fantastic. Loved getting to hear from you. I think it's really good for people to hear from someone on the the private side too, because like you mentioned, I think there's this like, <laughs> we, we, this card, we got to carry this. We got, we have to be scared of private guys because <laughs> they might, you know, ruin everything about the, 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 the purity, purity of the sport. Of the sport like that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just, just thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. And uh, got to make sure that next time we're over in central Oregon, I come definitely. And Max, you're doing an awesome job. This podcast is awesome. I love your takes on Twitter and obviously you run a great program there in South Salem. So keep it up, man. Keep grinding and, uh, and love watching you from afar and we'll have to get together next time we're out here or I'm out there despite being only about two hours away from where coach Gordis lives and despite the fact that my wife's family lives about 30 minutes from him uh, somehow we've never met in person and so you can bet I'm making my way to Ben this summer to hang out with him for a little bit huge thanks to James for joining the show and thanks again to Netting Pros and the Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression Foundation for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button Once again, if you haven't joined the club, do it. It takes about 90 seconds to sign up. You'll be part of the premier national organization of high school coaches, trainers, administrators, parents, players, and more. And you'll get the weekly newsletter in your inbox every single Wednesday. You can find that link down in the show notes. Don't forget to leave a rating, maybe even a review. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you. <laughs>